It's Zotime. Welcome to the Zotime Show presented by HoopsAndBrews.com. I will be your host for the day, Daniel Belt. And guys, it's been a while since I've last recorded. It was a busy holidays with the families for Christmas, for New Year's, and all that. So um, it's been probably three weeks since I last recorded, and I'll get back to recording weekly. And I'm probably going to do um, two podcasts a week, probably one for one hour and the other one for 30 minutes, just because... It is basically the second half of the NBA season. We are 42 games out of the way. I believe we are 23 and 19 right now. So, I mean, not where I thought we were going to be at this point in the season because I thought the Lakers were going to get some sort of luck in the health regard. But given all the injuries, given the suspensions, given multiple injuries to multiple players, and a lot of those players missing the same games... It's actually not terrible that we are 23-19. and 19. Um, Definitely a lot of positives have been shown this season, also some negatives. But, hey, we're 23-19. We're two games out of the fifth spot for the Western Conference. We're, I believe, five and a half games back from first place. So, honestly, season's been all right. Um, we should be getting LeBron back fairly soon. Rondo should be coming back probably... By the end of the month, so there are reasons to be optimistic in Lakers land for how the Lakers have played without LeBron. Even though we are three and five without him, we were in a lot of those games, which I will be talking about very shortly. But yeah, so we have a lot to discuss about what's been happening in Laker land. Like I said, there were good things, there were some awful things. Um, the Lakers did happen to beat the Warriors on Christmas. That was a fantastic game. That was a really good atmosphere for the Lakers to play in, um, especially since LeBron got hurt during the second half of that game, but the Lakers were still able to power through and win. I thought that was a huge like statement win for the young Los Angeles Lakers, and we heard all season that come Christmas, the Warriors are going to blow, blow out the Lakers, um, that it means... That actually, that game was going to mean something, but since the Lakers won that game, it means nothing because for whatever reason, the Lakers have to be held to this certain standard that other teams aren't. Um, then it's for the Warrior fans, the Lakers beat the Warriors in preseason, right? They said, just wait till the regular season. Then we hear, now they'll just wait till playoffs. So the goalposts always move when it comes to the dealing with the Los Angeles Lakers, dealing with their young core players, dealing with their rotation, their bench players. So they just have to be held to some sort of gold standard that, I mean, other franchises say the Lakers are irrelevant. So it's just weird that all these goalposts move, all these standards have to be only applied to one team, yet we look away when other young core players play bad on certain nights with other teams. But with L.A., like, um, what was that game? Against the Timberwolves, I believe. Um, a lot of people were posting the box score of that game, and ha, the Lakers didn't move this young core for that player, yet the very next night, Ingram and Lonzo combined for 50 points, yet crickets. And that's just how it goes in Lakers land. That's what comes with the territory when your team's your team has won the most since the modern era of the NBA. Your team's been in the most finals in the modern era of the NBA. Your team's been in the most... Western Conference Finals of the modern NBA. 
Your team has won the most games since the modern NBA, so it's fine. Like, we get it. We understand why these goalpost moves every night, but it's just funny when the Laker fans dish it back. They get offended. They get sensitive. They block us. But, hey, when the Lakers lose, get those jokes off. But you have to be able to reciprocate taking a joke with giving a joke, but these poverty franchises fans can't do that. So it's obviously just fucking hilarious. And while we also did beat the Warriors on Christmas, we did happen to beat the Kings, the Mavericks, and Pistons without LeBron. And I know none of those teams are particularly great, but the Kings have De'Aaron Fox, who everyone is saying is the best prospect from the 2017 draft class. Um, they also have Buddy Heald, who is 26 and almost probably a borderline all-star in my opinion. He's played fantastic this season. So they were able to go up against the Kings and beat their young core head-to-head. Um, we beat the Mavericks, who have Luka Doncic. We actually swept the Mavericks this year, 3-0. And for all the praises and just noise that Luka Doncic gets, he didn't really play well against the Lakers this year. Uh, Brandon Ingram outplayed him in all three games, yet... Brennan Ingram's a bust, and Luka's the next coming of LeBron. So it's just funny how these things work out. And they also beat the Pistons last night with Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, and Reggie Jackson. So while, yes, they are all under 500, they're still all in the playoff hunt um, for their respective conference. Some, play, some of these teams have all-stars. Some of these teams have future all-stars. So it's not like they played the Cavs three times and won. Um, however, the Lakers did have some horrendous losses. Like, they lost to the Knicks, which was god-awful. Um, that was terrible. I also believe we didn't have Kyle Kuzma that night, so it was, it was just terrible. Um, you should never lose to these New York Knicks. Like, again, they are god-awful. That was one of the worst games the Lakers played. They were up 92-86 entering the fourth, and we just couldn't close. And this is a common theme for games without LeBron James. This was a common theme last season. We can have the lead. We can play great basketball for three and a half quarters. But then the fourth quarter comes and it's just a Lakers loss. And this happened against the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Lakers were up 82-78 entering the fourth. And we lost. Um, we lost because Paul George played an excellent fourth quarter. Um and we just didn't have anyone to score. So that was a another game that the Lakers squandered with a fourth quarter lead. They were also up 10 with seven minutes to go in the third against the Los Angeles Clippers, who happened to be, I believe, either a playoff team or the ninth seed or somewhere along the lines like that. Um, which Lou Williams took over that game, and we just didn't have anyone that could step up and score. No, that's pretty... Common, though, when LeBron leaves, you struggle to score on offense. It's just, it sucks to lose these leads when the Lakers were playing well, basically, again, through three quarters. It's just we can't close. And one of these young guys needs to step up and be the closer for the immediate future. Or just kind of like rotate nights, like one night Ingram, one night Kuzma, one night Hart, one night Lonzo. They could do that, and... The past two games, they've shown some of that potential, and 
one of the games that I went to was the um, Los Angeles Laker game against Sacramento in Sacramento, and we were up 104 to 89 with six minutes and 30 to go in the fourth quarter. And I'll be honest, that was one of the worst losses that personally I've ever gone to, and personally just ever seen happen in basketball. We were up 15. Um, Golden One Center was chanting, let's go Lakers. It was an awesome environment. Then Lonzo has to come out to deal with cramps. And yeah, Bogdanovich hits that three. Um, Ingram misses the free throw. And it was just awful. Like that was, that was a heartbreaking game to be in attendance to. We just needed to get some stops and just score a little bit. And we weren't able to do so. And so there's what? One, two, that's four games in which Lakers were leading either in the third or fourth quarter on that we weren't able to win. If we were able to close those games out, even just one or two of those, we would be talking about the stretch without LeBron in a different light. Instead, it's, oh, the Lakers aren't even a 500 team without LeBron, but let's not act like LeBron was the only one missing. Uh, Kuzma missed two and a half of those games. Rondo's been out the entire time. Beasley was out for a couple of those games as well. Um... So it's not like LeBron was the only one out. It was many people being out, rotations being shrunk, and Luke kind of just having to learn on the fly what to do with this team. Um, we also lost to the Minnesota Timberwolves, but that was with the, without LeBron, Rondo, and Kuzma. So you're without two of your best scorers, the captain of your second unit. So again, I'm not excusing the 3-5 and five stretch because, hey, like we should have at least gone 500, but... Let's not act like we didn't go 3-5 and five earlier in the season with LeBron, so... Hey, it's it's still coming together, in my opinion. Um, I believe... Uh, God, who was it that responded to me on Twitter when I said the Kings and Thunder loss is pissing me off? He said, you know what? Maybe this team needed to go through the stretch to kind of have like a wake-up call for them. Who knows if they would have played as well as they did the past two games if they would have won some of those earlier games. It was kind of like a learning lesson, kind of like a growing up period for this young core. And I mean, that does make sense. But again, I'd rather see wins over making sense because it's easier to talk about what the team is doing well and then winning games over moral victories. I hate talking about moral victories. It's one of the my least favorite things in sports is when people do give moral victories. But as a Lakers fan, I've seen them win championships. So that's why I don't really care about moral victories. If you're a Sacramento Kings fan or a Phoenix Suns fan or Orlando Magic fan or a Utah Jazz fan or um, let's see who else is trash like the Nets, you can have these moral victories and they can actually mean something. But when you're the Lakers, when you're the Spurs, when you're the I wouldn't uh, who else when you're I guess you're the Celtics, when you're the Bulls, when you're um, that's probably about it, or the Warriors. There are no moral victories. There are only championships or nothing. So, yeah. And again, if we were able to close out some of those games that I mentioned, we would be talking about the Lakers in a different light. And also, side note, when LeBron was out in Cleveland, like when he was a part of the Cleveland Cavaliers but couldn't suit up, the Cavs only won four out of 27 possible games. That is atrocious. That is like 15% of their games they won without LeBron. So that stretch is terrible. Um, 
However, Kyrie and Kevin Love only played in 15 of those 27 games with uh, LeBron out. But when Kyrie and Kevin Love were healthy, when they were available, they only won four games out of those 15. For comparison, the Lakers have won three of eight without LeBron. So not only are the Lakers looking more of a looking more like a NBA team currently, they have a better winning percentage without LeBron than the Cavs did with Kyrie and Kevin Love, who were two All-Stars. So we hear about how the Lakers punted this year of LeBron's career, but we could flip that. If you were that trash without LeBron, couldn't you say you kind of punted LeBron's prime, like his actual prime in Cleveland, by surrounding him with players that couldn't win without him? Like, if you're telling me two All-Stars can only win four games out of 15 in the East, that's trash. That is terrible. Yet you have the audacity, you have the balls to say the Lakers punted this year, the Lakers' young core sucks, you spend your entire time making jokes at the Lakers' expense on your timeline, and yet... These people that you want retired in Cleveland were trash about LeBron. Like, I don't get that. And you can say, hey, well, Kevin Love and Kyrie stepped up in the playoffs. But yes, it's only because LeBron got them to where they were. LeBron took all of the attention off on the court while they were able to succeed in either a wide open shot or a closeout on a 1v1. So it's just strange that all these Cav MAGA people like to talk all this shit on Twitter about their one title in like 60 fucking years, but it's just, it's so strange, man, that they feel this bravado, like, oh, we have a Kevin Love and a Kyrie, yet we only won four games out of 15 without LeBron. Like, that's that's fucking trash. Like, I don't, I, just, I still don't get that. And you can make these player comps like, oh... Kyle Kuzma is basically a Jordan Clarkson or a Jeff Green or Brandon Ingram is a Travis Outlaw or Lonzo's a Michael Carter Williams. Well, guess what? They have a better win percentage without LeBron than the two people you want hung up in the rafters. So that I think that says something about how players or how fans like to talk shit about other people's teams without kind of taking a look in their mirror and seeing what their team is. And has always been without LeBron, which is trash. Cleveland is a trash franchise, a trash city, and just a trash basketball town. So again, I don't really like to spend that many time or that much time talking about the Cavaliers because I feel like their time without LeBron should be like um, should be enough pain. But when these idiots pop off, like I get it, get those jokes off. But LeBron did all of the heavy lifting for your franchise's incompetence. And it kind of sucks what maybe could have happened, what maybe could have been if the Cavs weren't shooting themselves in the foot every single time with their signings, with all of these other things that they did. Maybe LeBron would be... Maybe LeBron would have a winning record in the NBA Finals if the Cavs weren't such idiots. But you never know. Um, Also, if you're going to make jokes, make sure you're able to take jokes. If you can't, get off Twitter and go learn about life somewhere else. Now, enough about petty wars with the blind mice on Twitter who just normally run away when the Lakers win games. Let's talk about what the actual Lakers have been able to do well on the basketball court. And that's topic number one for the day. Without LeBron, the Lakers have had to rely on defense to win games. And that's not shocking. Um, 
LeBron basically is a offensive system wherever he goes. He is always going to put up stats, always going to put up numbers, and the team is going to be better on offense with him than without him. So what the Lakers have had to do with him being injured is play defense, and they've done it pretty well. Without LeBron, they've been a top-seven team in the league for uh, defensive rating, defensive efficiency, and if you watch the actual games and not just look at the box score, you can actually see why. Um, They've played very well on defense, although they've sucked on offense. And like what I mean by relying on defense is just look at the last six quarters of um, NBA play for the Los Angeles Lakers, and it'll tell you the whole story. Shots will always come and go for this team. Like they're going to go through hot stretches, and they're going to go through cold stretches. What needs to stay the same is their defensive, uh, their defensive energy, their attention to. Um, kind of the film and what Luke actually goes over on the defensive side of the ball. For all of Luke's shortcomings on offense and him just being a blah coach with rotations, he is a very good defensive coach. Like, I will give him so much credit for what he's able to do with his team on defense. He seems to always put players in the right position on defense. I just wish he was able to do that on offense because if he was able to do that on offense, we would be a probably a top three team in the West because... We are very good on defense. Um, the energy has to always be there, like 100% of the time, because, hey, we might not score every time down, so we need to prevent the other team from scoring every time down. Um, if you looked at the Maverick game in the second half, if you looked at the Pistons game in the second half, and if you looked through some stretches when we played the Clippers, when we were able to get back in the game with the Knicks, when we were able to come back versus the Kings, um, in the second and third quarter versus the Kings when we were able to extend the lead in Sacramento, you saw the Lakers play really, really good defense. And it all starts with their ability to switch, with their ability to rotate, with their ability to play for each other, and kind of just buy into Luke's system on defense. Uh, we switch a lot, and that's because we have players that can switch. Josh Hart can, for the most part, play perimeter defense he fouls a lot of he fouls a lot of three-point shooters but he's able to fight through screens because he's physical um he's not the greatest uh 1v1 defender because he does get blown by by a lot he does get crossed up a lot and that might be with the strategy where uh, luke wants to funnel the player into javel so either javel can send his shit backwards or make the guy pass so it might be because of that but when josh hart is playing low post defense He's very tough to score on. I can't remember who tried to shoot over Josh Hart in the post, but I believe he was either blocked or he shot it very, very short. And that was just a great play. And the best example of what I'm talking about with how you should always play with effort, play great team defense, and uh, play great personal defense, is just watch the second half of the Maverick game with Josh Hart. For us to win games, it doesn't have to be all about points. Josh Hart was not shooting well against the Mavericks that game, yet he was doing everything right. He was hustling, he was running, he was diving on the floor, he was rotating over to the correct person every single time, and he was crashing the boards. Him rebounding that game was one of the main reasons why we won that game. When we go with Lonzo, Ingram, Kyle, Josh, and JaVale, we are kind of undersized at the forward position with rebounding. Um, 
how you can combat that is when you have your guards rebound. And that's what Josh Hart did. Josh Hart was a animal that game. He was a dog and he was perfect. That was how I want Josh Hart to play every single night. He's going to make shots every now and then. He's going to sometimes go off for like six threes in a game. When that's not happening, you don't need to sulk. You don't need to put your head down. And this is what Luke's been trying to stress to the team. And again, for all of Luke's shortcomings, he seems to be a great player's coach. He tries to get the correct message across. And I'm not a huge Luke fan. I've been noted for saying, hey, they should probably look at other options this summer. But what he's able to do on defense, what he's able to try and get this team to buy into, sometimes it works. And when it works, it works very, very well. And you're able to see the um, workings of that with the Maverick and the Pistons game. I've never seen a player, and I think he played like 44 minutes that night, so he was playing the entire game. And I guarantee he was exhausted, and this kind of goes to him being in the correct shape that he needs to be in for the NBA season. I also don't think he or... Lonzo has missed a game, so what he was able to do that night, his energy is contagious, um, and yeah, like that was one of the most fun I've had as a fan watching a certain player take over the game without scoring, and we kind of see that almost nightly with Lonzo. It was great to see another player do that with Josh Hart, and I don't know, man, that energy is contagious. You were able to see Michael Beasley play with that sort of energy. KCP play with that energy. Lonzo picked it up. Ingram picked it up. Kuz picked it up. So it's just when one player plays like that, people feed off of that. So we just need one or two players to kind of start the run that we need to get to to either pull away from teams or come back versus teams. And Josh Hart is a player that played a lot at college for a winning program. He won a title at Nova. He knows what it's like to play winning basketball. So I think he could always bring that defensive toughness, defensive presence, defensive energy to the game that can change the outcome of a game. And speaking of defense, I don't think Ingram gets enough love for what he's capable of doing on off, on defense. Um, people want to believe that he's just a offensive player. They always say, well, he's an ex... Or, a lot of other fans want to say, well, Laker fans said he was going to be the next KD. Hey, we, we might have wilded out for a summer or two, but we realized Brandon Ingram will never be that. In my opinion, Brandon Ingram could be a Scottie Pippen just based off of his defensive presence, what he's able to do with the ball on offense. He's never going to score that much, but he's going to facilitate. He's going to rebound. He's going to score in certain situations. He's going to play really good defense and I believe that's what Scottie Pippen was. He was never asked to do too much. And when Ingram's asked to do too much, sometimes you kind of see the heavy ISO. That's when you kind of see the boneheaded plays come out. But when he's just asked to play his role, he plays really, really, really well. And I just don't think he gets enough credit on defense because with LeBron out, they want him to be scoring. Or NBA Twitter wants him to score 30 points, yet he doesn't do that. That's not Brandon Ingram's game. That is Kyle Kuzma's game. Kyle Kuzma's role on the team is shoot, 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 shoot. Ingram's is set other players up while you set yourself up. So I just think they discredit his defense just to take jokes, just to make jokes about him. Yet he deserves as much recognition on the defensive side of the ball as a Lonzo Ball, who is a fantastic team defender who can play really good one-on-one defense who can 
pick up full court against players that struggle bringing the ball up, and he can get steals. Uh, he could block opposing point guards using his height and using his uh, IQ. Um, if you were able to watch, I believe, the Nick game and uh, who else was it? I think it was the Timberwolves. He's able to position his body to kind of look like he's giving up on the play and then swat the shit out of your shot, and it's pretty cool. Also, last night versus the Pistons, he was able to block the player's shot from behind, get the ball or get the rebound, and then make a f- beautiful half-court bounce pass to KCP for the uh, easy layup in transition. Ingram and Lonzo are able to just kind of like hound the backcourt. When Ingram is guarding the two spot, it's a huge disadvantage to the other team's shooting guard because they're not 6-9. So having to shoot over Ingram is not fun. Uh, You're able to see that with CJ McCollum earlier in the year. You're able to see it against Luka Doncic, the second game they faced. Um, There are a couple more examples of opposing shooting guards just shooting like shit against Brandon Ingram, and that's because he's able to close out very well. He's able to move his feet on defense. He's able to get around screens. He's able to kind of know where you're trying to go and just make it tough for you. Uh, He's not a defender who's going to get a lot of steals or blocks. He's going to get... He won't get love in the Defensive Player of the Year race because he doesn't get a lot of steals or blocks. Those sometimes are um, compromised with people thinking a lot of steals means you're a great defender. No, it's a lot of other things that come with that. Steals and blocks are nice, but um, what you're able to do with the guy in front of you Either you get that really good player to pass out of a shot. Oh, Donovan Mitchell was trash against us because of Ingram. So if Ingram's able to make you miss shots and make you pass out of the shots that you want to, that's a win for him on defense. Even though it's not a steal or a block, if you miss a shot or pass up a shot that you would normally take over a smaller defender, that's a win. And Brandon Ingram's ability to switch on defense is awesome as well. You put him and Lonzo together, they can switch every single time. You put... Lonzo, Ingram, and Hart together, they can pretty much switch on defense the entire time. Hell, even Kuz, who played fantastic defense against um, Blake Griffin last night. Um, And Lonzo and Ingram switching on defense is why we always want Lonzo and Ingram to play together. Because they can do so much on offense well. They can do so much on defense well. Just play them together. Without LeBron, yes, you have to stagger the minutes. But the minutes when they can play together... It looks awesome, it looks fun, it looks like it's sustainable, and it looks like when LeBron is inserted back into the lineup, it can be sustainable going into the future. Lonzo is never going to be a high-usage guy, in my opinion. He will improve his shot-making, his shot-creating, and his shot-taking, but I I never think Lonzo will ever be this high-usage guy because he doesn't like to go ISO. Uh, If you've heard him talk about... Um, how the Lakers close games, he hates iso ball. He wants the ball moving, and that's how he wants to play. The games we've lost, you've heard him actually be vocal about that. And last night's defensive effort versus the Pistons was awesome. Kuz being the primary defender on Blake and holding him to 16 points, under 50% from the field goal, uh, from the floor, and zero rebounds is fantastic. If you're able to hold Blake Griffin to zero rebounds, you did your job either boxing out on defense, um, kind of having him not get offensive rebounds as well. Blake Griffin, I I don't want to kind of 
yell at him or like talk shit about him, but his energy last night was unacceptable as an opposing fan. He doesn't seem engaged in Detroit, and he's getting paid a lot of money. He was traded for from the Clippers to the Pistons. They were, I believe the Pistons gave up a lot for him. I can't remember what the trade was. I know it was a pick and some players, and I believe another pick, but what Blake Griffin showed last night is not acceptable for a player making that much money, not acceptable for a all-star caliber player, and Kuzma was able to take advantage of that both on offense and defense. Um, the Lakers actually doubled Blake Griffin a lot because of the um, lack of shooting around Blake Griffin and the inability to create for himself like an Andre Drummond and the inconsistency of a Reggie Jackson is why the Lakers were able to double Blake Griffin. And again, Luke put them in a great position to play defense last night. And I feel for all the times we call out Luke, we need to praise him when he actually does a good coaching job. And that's how I kind of wish all of our fan base was like. Uh, the Laker fan base can be sometimes um, toxic. They want to be right about a certain thing and then they have like a couple of players where, or a couple of fans that stand only a certain player and hate when the other player does well. And this happens a lot with Kuzma and Ingram stands. They don't like each other. They want their guy to be the number one or the number two option when LeBron comes back. And I'm just like, let them both just play well together. And who cares who plays well? As long as we're winning, as long as a team is playing well, who gives a fuck? I don't care if it's Michael Beasley out there. I don't care if it's Lance Stevenson. As long as we're winning, play well. I don't care if it's Rondo closing over Alonzo if it makes sense just play well and win let's stop this stand shit let's just care about winning games what Laker Nation used to be like in the early 2010s and the entire decade of the 2000s and the early 90s and late 90s and all of the 80s and the majority of the 70s Let's just get back to caring about winning basketball over caring about winning, about who's right. And then the Pistons are a great um, rebounding team. It's obviously known they have Andre Drummond who gets a ton of rebounds. And normally Blake gets boards. And then Stanley Johnson is also very active on the glass. The Lakers were able to out-rebound them by a lot. And a team such as the Pistons normally get a lot of offensive rebounds, which means... They were stopped on their first possession, but they were able to get a offensive rebound and score on their second possession. The Lakers did a fantastic job last night of limiting the Pistons from getting second chances, and that's huge because we do play small at times. So if we're able to keep a offensive rebounding team off the glass, it should mean, it should mean that we're going to win. And like I said, with Bruce Brown in the lineup, with Reggie Jackson and Drummond, the Pistons lack shooting. And Drummond can't really do much. So if we just double Blake Griffin, who kind of looked clueless out there, it was a perfect game plan defensively, and that's a huge reason why we won the game. Also, a huge reason why we won the game was Lonzo defensively. He was roaming out there. He is a great um, kind of safety. When he is able to play safety on defense, you see him either A, pick off a pass that's trying to get from point A to point B, B, He'll um, make a steal off of a guy that has a back turned to him that can't see Lonzo coming, and he just steals it at the correct time almost always. Or C, he can actually body the guy that's 
they're doubling. He, for whatever reason, Lonzo, if you watched last year's game against the Pistons, you will know why. Lonzo and Blake Griffin do seem to have some kind of beef. Lonzo was, like, kind of shoved Blake Griffin last year, and you could tell. Ingram, or not Ingram, Blake Griffin was trying to body Lonzo. He was trying to kind of, like, send a message, and I'm sorry, Blake Griffin, but no. Like, you weren't, you were not able to move Lonzo Ball anywhere last night, and that's, you know, like, Blake, you got to be called out for that. That that performance by you last night was terrible. And Pavi and I from Hoops and Brews, if you haven't already, go follow them on Twitter, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, um, Spotify now that they're on, uh, Instagram. Make sure you just go follow them. Pavi and I were talking about the Pistons being a team that had could have three players that average 20, that should be a top playoff team in the East, and, like, we're wrong. Blake is not that guy. And I don't know if it's... I'm always just tuned off of whatever team Blake is on after the first quarter because, hey, the NBA's back, you're watching every game, and then later towards the season, you're only watching your own team. Normally, I follow Blake Griffin for the first quarter of a basketball season, and he's playing very well. So then I'm like, hey, they're not losing because of him. But last night, that performance, that effort that energy you brought to the game Blake Griffin was just unacceptable and you just got to do better in Detroit and then not only was Lonzo's defense on Blake and the other bigs and the wings and the guards very good so were Ingram's closeouts I don't I don't think you realize how tough and how hard it is to shoot over Brandon Ingram when he's trying to close out on you he is a 6'9 guy with probably a 7'2 7'3 wingspan who can jump out of the gym so you got to shoot that thing high and if he's closing out on you He's doing it very smartly. He's not going to jump into you like Josh Hart will. And that's my only that's one of my only negative things I have to say about Josh Hart is he always seems to foul a three-point shooter every game. Um, Ingram closes out normally, correct, unless it's against James Harden. And I feel like he was kind of taken down with the defensive um, mindset from the other NBA fan bases because they saw the games against Harden. But yes, James Harden does that to everybody, so I'd feel like that was unfair to kind of cast away Brandon Ingram's ability to contribute on or to contribute on defense. And yes, Ingram closes out amazingly. He's also fast enough to kind of um, get back after the person blows by him on the closeout. If he closes out too hard, he still has the length. He still has the speed to get back into the picture and either A, block your shot, or B, make it tough for you to make it. And he also has those long arms that can, at times, create steals, create deflections. So he does need to get more credit on the defensive side of the ball. And then you have JaVale affecting the uh, person that's either A, going to try to shoot over him in the paint, or B, get swatted out. Um, Sometimes he gets stuck in the paint for too long, and that's why we had three... Uh, illegal defensive possessions. That's why the Pistons got three free throws last night. So he needs to do a little bit better job of being aware of where he is on the court at all times. And Hart can switch and play low post defense. So we just have a ton of guys that can do a ton of things on defense. And this is going to be a key, even when LeBron comes back. Hey, let LeBron control the offense. Let's play defense. Let him kind of take a break on defense while the four of us, or the four other guys on the court just play pest-like defense for 24 seconds because the Pistons had a lot of either A, 24-second violations, or they had to force up a terrible shot with one second left on the shot clock, which is perfect. 
you want to get teams to take a tough shot with one second left on the shot clock because for the majority of the time, there will be misses. The Pistons got lucky once last night, and I believe it was Reggie Bullock or someone else banked in a three off the backboard with like one second left from 28 feet. So, hey, it happens, but don't let that affect your defensive presence on the court at all times. Um, we need another performance like we did last night against the Pistons, against Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz. I believe they're without Ricky Rubio and Dante Exum, so I believe Donovan Mitchell will have the ball more in his hands. We need to close out and not get Joe Ingles enough um, options to shoot from three. Uh, same with Jay Crowder. And, hey, almost let Rudy Gobert beat you offensively because he's very limited with his offensive skill set. So it'll be interesting to see what defensive game plan the Lakers have going forward to that game because I believe the Lakers are able to beat the Jazz. You might see LeBron sit out another game. If the Lakers can kind of hold on to this above 500 record, we're 23-19 right now. If we can hold on for dear life without LeBron, then hey, he can afford to sit for him a couple more games. I believe Curry missed 11 games with the groin strain, and LeBron's at 8 right now, so we'll see. Uh, next topic, Kyle Kuzma went bananas last night. He had 41 points in three quarters, and one thing I love about Kyle Kuzma, and it's one thing I loved about Kobe Bryant, he doesn't care what he shot the previous game. He doesn't care what he's shooting during the game. If it's an open shot and a good shot, he's going to take it. Uh, against the... Mavericks. Kyle Kuzma was 4 of 20, but we kind of needed those 20 shots because it shows aggressiveness, it shows space in the floor ability, and it just keeps the defense honest. Last night, much better. He was 16 of 24. Um, I believe he only took 6 free throws last night, and for him to get 41 points in today's NBA in 3 quarters with only 6 free throws, it's almost unheard of. James Harden can't do that. I mean, he probably could, but I don't know if he has this season. I believe Klay Thompson did that. I believe Steph Curry able to do that, and I also believe LeBron's able to do that. But it seems the only time Harden gets 40 points in three quarters comes with a ton of free throws with it. So it is what it is. Also, a huge sign of positivity last night was Kuzma making five of ten of his threes. He shot 50% from the three-point line with five makes. That is awesome. Anytime you're able to make five threes, in a game while shooting 50%, that's just amazing efficiency. That's just amazing basketball play on the offensive side of the ball. Um, all of his shots seem to come in rhythm. I don't believe this was, I believe, reported by Synergy Stats. He didn't have a single point coming off of ISO or driven the ball too much. All of them came either set up or in rhythm. And it was perfect. Like, the pick and pop with Lonzo, amazing. Him leaking out were fire. Uh, the play he was able to score and fake out Blake Griffin was just comedy because Blake Griffin shouldn't be done like that, but he was done by Kyle Kuzma, the second-year player from Flint. And it's kind of cool that Kyle Kuzma got his career high against his hometown team. I know that probably added some fuel to the fire, and it looked like Kuzma like used that to his like advantage. Kyle Kuzma reminds me of... A lot of Kobe, like with how he handles himself, how like streaky he can get during the game, how much he likes to shoot, how much he likes to play offense, his mentality, the way he carries himself. Even he bit his jersey last night. I'm, I'm not saying Kyle Kuzma will ever be Kobe Bryant because that's just not ever going to happen. But just some of the mannerisms kind of 
how fast Kuzma can put up points. It, just a little, like, Kobe-like. He'll never be Kobe, but, like, you could see, like, little glimpses of Kobe, and that's cool. I mean, Kyle Kuzma did train with Kobe over the summer. Uh, they've been in contact. Kuzma loves wearing Kobe's shoes. Kuzma definitely has an admiration for Kobe like the rest of us Laker fans, and it was crazy when he bit that jersey because that's a that's what Kobe does. That's what Kobe was known for in L.A., biting the jersey when you're going off, and that's what Kuzma did, so it was cool. Um, Kyle Kuzma didn't play in the fourth quarter. He could have gone for 50 or 60 if it was a close game, but it wasn't a close game. It was a smart thing for Luke to do with Kuzma still coming back from that back injury. Uh, let him rest. He didn't need to play over 30 minutes, and he didn't. He played 29 minutes last night, and Kyle Kuzma is very important to us on offense because the Lakers need his shooting. Even if he's not shooting well from three this year, the defense still respects Kyle Kuzma from three. Uh, you can watch how Blake was guarding him last night. Every single time he came up to close out on Kuzma, and then Kuzma would blow by him and lay it up. It was Kuzma takes what the defense gives him. He's very smart on offense. He is a huge, important piece to us on offense. That's why without him, we were lost. Like, yes, we're lost without LeBron and kind of Rondo running the show with the second unit. But you take out Kuzma as well with those two players, it looked like we were playing pickup basketball and had no idea what we were doing. And, like, again, his offensive skill set, like, with scoring the ball is crazy. I've always said Kyle Kuzma reminds me a lot of Antoine Jameson. Just the way they're able to score, the way they're able to space the floor from the three ball, their ability to shoot from the mid-range, their ability to finish on the rim with floaters and hooks, and uh, the move that Kuzma put on Blake last night. Like You can kind of see what I mean if you go ahead and watch Antoine Jameson's highlights, or if you are old enough to remember his career. And then you see Kuzma's athleticness and his um, soaring ability when he dunks the ball, and then you see his kind of, I believe, and this is what a Laker film room pointed out, go ahead and follow him as well. Pete does a great job of breaking down the game with videos and analysis. He pointed out that Blake Griffin likes to look at the ball after he shoots it for a little bit, and uh, Kuzma leaked out. And it resulted in two wide-open, easy dunks from Lonzo and Ingram. So, hey, take what the defense gives you every single night, and that's what Kyle Kuzma does. Also, another one of uh, Kuzma's dunks came off of a cut after a beautiful play by JaVale. I don't know many centers that can get the ball in while rolling to the basket, and it wasn't like a great play. Like, we passed the ball to JaVale when he was too much under the basket, but he was still able to, before he ran out of bounds, pass it to Kuzma. Not a lot of centers can do that. Not a lot of centers have the presence to know where they are on the court to make that pass. And it resulted in a Kuzma dunk because Blake lost him again. So yeah, the, I believe this is Kyle Kuzma's eighth time going over 30 points in LA. And this kind of goes back to the standards that are set with the Lakers' young core versus everyone else. Uh, with Ingram, it's, oh, he can't score over 30 points. With Kuzma, it's, hey, do it when it matters. This is Kuzma's eighth time going over 30 points in LA. Meanwhile, Jason Tatum is zero. And I believe Jalen Brown has like two so it's just strange where Kuzma does it more often than those other players, yet Kuzma doesn't get the love that Tatum does, that Brown does, that Mitchell does, that all these other players do. So it's just it's strange. 
given where Kuzma was drafted, given Kuzma's cheap contract for the next two, three years. So it's just weird that these players have standards that other young players don't, but again, I get it. I can't wait for the playoffs to come around because Kuzma is going to put up a 30-burger or a 40-burger or a 50-burger against someone. Because the defense is going to focus on LeBron, Lonzo's going to find the wide-open Kuzma, and Kuzma's just going to do what he did last night and just make the open shots and take what the defense gives him. Kuzma is just a... He has so much IQ on the offensive side of the ball. He knows where to be. He knows when to cut. He knows when not to cut. He knows where to position himself so Lonzo, LeBron, or Rondo can find him. And when he's heating up, he knows, hey, give me the ball and I'm going to knock this down. And that's what he did last night. And I can't wait to see what he does in the playoffs. I can't wait to see what he does for the rest of the season. And, hey, if Kuzma keeps this up, he might make an all-star appearance this season because I believe he's eighth in the West in the front court positioning. So you never know. Also, topic number three tonight is going to be Brandon Ingram and Lonzo stepping up. And what I mean by that is with their attitude, their energy, their effort, and their leadership. Um, with Kuzma out, we definitely did look lost because LeBron was also out, who is our probably who was our captain. Rondo would probably be captain number two, and then. With Kuzma's, um, you could definitely tell Kuzma like has that um, confidence in himself that kind of inspires confidence with other people, whereas Brendan Ingram and Lonzo are quiet, so you kind of don't see it from them when they're not talking. And Brendan Ingram and Lonzo met up before the Maverick game and kind of said, hey, like we need to get our head out of our asses. We need to start playing like the players we are. And the past two games you see it Lonzo was very vocal and he showed a lot of emotion last night that's what I need to see going forward the scoring will come and go I don't need Lonzo to put up 15 to 20 points every night I just need you to act like you give a damn to be out there and play great defense and play great team basketball because the other stats will will pile up as long as you play with energy there's a saying in the NBA that the basketball will find the energy and that's why Kuzma always seems to put up these extravagant numbers and extravagant stats. And sometimes Hart, too. Like, he had that 14, 11, 10, and 5 game, or 14, 10, 5, and 5 game that only he and Yusuf Nurkic have had this season. If you play with energy, the ball just seems to gravitate towards you, and then you just got to make the right play with it. And I am 100%, 100% sure that if Lonzo gets the ball... 99% of the time, he's going to make the right play. Ingram, I'm more like 75% sure. Because I tweeted out last night that it seems like Brandon Ingram has the angel and the devil on his shoulder at each time when he touches the ball. It's like, hey, make the team play. And the devil said, nah. Dribble for 10 seconds and take a contested mid-range. Which, if you watch the game, it's kind of true. Because sometimes he falls in love with dribble, 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 dribble. Um, get to the middle pump fake, and then shoot. Kind of how Kobe used to do it. And Ingram's not there yet, so it results in more misses than makes. So I believe that's why a lot of fan bases, a lot of our fans kind of get tired of Ingram because he does that, and it doesn't work out. But what Ingram's been able to do the past two games has been outstanding. Um, he had, what, 10, 10 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists last night, and played great defense. And they might say, well, only 10 points, but he only took 10 shots. He let Kuzma go off. Like, 
Normally, if Kuzma's going off, Ingram still tries to do it by himself. Ingram last night realized, hey, my offensive game might not be my scoring ability right now, tonight, might not be working. Let me get others involved. Let me get them the ball. Let me set screens. Let me play great defense. Let me rebound. And that's what Ingram needs to do. That's what Lonzo needs to do more as well. Because for the most part, Lonzo is engaged, but when his shot's not falling, he normally sulks and then he gets taken out or he just plays trash on the court. Lately, they both played with great passion, with great intensity, and the rest of the team has fed off of that. They've played the past two games, we've played well, and obviously it resulted in wins. Against the Mavericks, they combined for 50 points, 10 rebounds, and 11 assists, which, hey, perfect. That was when Ingram scored 29, Alonzo scored 21. That's when Lonzo noted, hey, if Kuzma's going to be hurt, I got to score more. And then when Kuzma comes back, hey, I can get 5-5-11 five, five, with two steals and a block and be a team high plus 24 because I'm smart enough to put Kyle Kuzma in position to succeed. Or I'm good enough to not need to score to make a positive impact on the team. And that's a great thing to be able to do because his usage rate is so low. His maintenance for points is so low like he doesn't have an ego when it comes to scoring the ball like some players want the ball in their hands and they pout if they don't that's not Lonzo he understands as long as they are playing team basketball he doesn't need the glory he just wants to win and last night it was I believe it was Lance Stevenson who kind of went ISO for a bit I heard Lonzo yell move it like I've very rarely do I hear Lonzo on the broadcast say something because he's very quiet. Last night, Lonzo was vocal. We need that. That's what Rondo's trying to get out of him. That's what JaVale's trying to get out of him. That's what Beasley's trying to get out of him. Because I believe it was either Beasley or JaVale that says, we need Lonzo to talk shit. We need Lonzo to be vocal. If we're going to be who we're going to be, we need Lonzo to talk. We need Ingram to talk. So the fact that it seems like these two are taking more of a leadership role and being held accountable because I believe Lonzo held himself and Ingram accountable for the team slide without LeBron and Kuz. Like he realized, hey, if I don't say something, if we don't step up, we're either A, going to be shit, or B, traded, or probably both. So they're, they're just so skilled that they can change the outcome in many ways when it's not just scoring. And the team feeds off of their sort of energy, their wantingness to play basketball or team basketball that hey once they do that they can also contribute by playing excellent defense and play make for others and then it's just this well orchestrated machine that leads to wins without lebron and yes ingram can get you 20 probably every night if he wanted to it might not be the greatest of shots but he can score it's just he's much more than a scorer and that's what nba twitter that's what analysis on TV. That's what other people need to understand. He is a good defensive player who can play make, who can rebound, who can score. He's not just one thing. Magic and Plinka didn't draft just players that can do one thing. They drafted players that can do multiple things. And that's it just it's weird when like you see on TV, Ingram needs to score more. Lonzo needs to score more. No, they don't. They just need to play the correct way with the correct intensity with the correct effort every single night. Because we have, when healthy, enough scores. We have Beasley. We have Kuzma. We have LeBron. We have Hart who can shoot. We have KCP who could shoot. We have Lance who can go ISO for a bit and score. We have enough players to score the ball. 
We just need players to buy in, play team defense, be held accountable, show leadership when needed, and assist the ball when needed. Zoe is a very streaky scorer. Um, there's no way of other like around that. In his recent stretch of games, I believe he has like 21 points, 24 points, 19 points. Then he has like five, four, and zero. Like he's very streaky. When it's there, it's there. When it's not, it's not. He is going to be so much better next season when he has a healthy offseason. God willing, he has a healthy offseason. He's already played 42 games this season without an injury. And I'm not trying to jinx that, so I'll knock on wood. So, yeah. But his 11 assists last night were very pretty. Um, if you haven't already, go ahead and rewatch some of those. There was that touch pass to JaVale. There was that um, touchdown pass that he threw to Beasley. There was that beautiful bounce pass that he threw to KCP. And it's just... It's fantastic basketball to watch when they're all playing together. We do look like the Showtime Lakers at times when they do push the ball up. Our greatest offense without LeBron is getting a rebound and pushing and scoring in transition and scoring in the paint. So we have to play great defense to set that up. So it's basically, it comes full circle for the Lakers when they play well. Get a stop, get the ball to the right person, a.k.a. Lonzo or uh, Ingram run in transition and finish the rim. And that's our, that's a full circle right there. So that's how we are going to win games without LeBron play defense, play smart, run and finish at the rim. That's how we win games. And hopefully that three point shot comes to the whole team. If not control what you can control. And that's a huge message from Luke to the team control what you can control and the results will happen. Also, I believe it was Michael Beasley who told, I don't remember who it was last night, but he was interviewed and he said, we need to stop talking to the refs and just play our game. Control what you can control and the results will happen. And topic number four today is going to be Beasley and KCP. Those two bench players are a huge reason why we are winning as well. Um, Beasley has been perfect since coming back from the uh, passing of his mother that's a terrible thing to go through for those of us that have lost a parent before. It's very tough. And I'm glad that he's back on this team because he does definitely seem to be playing with joy out there. I believe basketball is sort of some of his release from the emotions that go with that. And you've heard him kind of say what's helped him kind of go through this is the team is there for him. A lot of people said this team was going to be dysfunctional, this team wouldn't be able to play well together, that this team was going to be like the Suicide Squad, but for I don't think there's been like a single negative thing reported with this team with how they interact with each other. It seems that everyone plays for each other, everyone likes each other, everyone understands what's going on. And Beasley, man, like he is able to score at any position. He can score from, he can shoot from distance, he could go ISO, he can finish at the rim when you pass on the ball. He can do so many things. So I actually do believe all the stories that come out about Beasley beating Kevin Durant and LeBron one versus one because Beasley's skilled. Like you look at some of the finishes he had last night. He had that in the post spin finish with his right hand over, I believe it was Drummond and it looked pretty. And you see him He's very crafty with knowing how to position the ball off the glass to make it fall in. Like he, a lot of his shots are just beautiful. Like he plays a very beautiful game and he he passes more than I think people want to give him credit for. 
when it's not there, he passes out. Like, and that's after the def- defense has already collapsed, and it normally re- results in a wide open shot. Same with KCP, who has played very well as of late. Um, since like the first month, KCP's been hooping. Convict music is back, and like last night, I believe he had fourteen. 14- six and four or something like that i don't remember the the exact box score for contavious but outside of those two turnovers that he had in like 10 seconds he played very good team basketball um he had an assist to coos he knocked down shots he finished at the rim he cut when he like he we're playing great basketball when we buy in defensively because then we want to overshare on offense get people points and it's just beautiful Beasley's absence showed, obviously, during uh, his absence, um, especially when LeBron and Rondo were out. He could have been someone that we depended on, but he was going through the personal stuff, which totally understandable. But going forward, playoff time or the like rest of the season-wise, he needs to get minutes. He needs to be on the second unit, and I don't know whose minutes he's going to take away. I think he's going to take away uh, Lance Stevenson's minutes. Or maybe some of Tyson's. Uh, we gave Tyson the night off last night because he is 30-whatever. He's very old, so he needed a night off. And Beasley was able to say, hey, I got this. Zubak was able to say, hey, I got this. Our second unit steps up. Zubak has been stepping up when called upon. That is what we want to see. So it's just it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see our bench stepping up when it needs to be stepped up with and When LeBron and Rondo come back, we're going to get two more great basketball players back. So we're going to be a deep team come playoff time. Um, Trades might happen. Trades might not happen. But the best thing that the Laker players can do on this team is stay ready. And, yeah, KCP's been very important to this team. Beasley's been very important to this team. Everyone that's been getting minutes has been very important to this team this season. And probably you could point to a time in the year where they were either option number one or option number two to why we won that game. And it's beautiful to see. It's not just one player in L.A., and that's what I like to see. Um, anyways, this has been Daniel Belts. Um, follow along at Twitter at, at Zotime Podcast. Uh, also follow me on Instagram as well at, at Zotime Podcast. And follow on SoundCloud, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify at Hoops and Brews as well. You'll be able to hear these podcasts um, every week on there as well, and I'll give my prediction for the next two games. I do think we go two and zero versus the Jazz and the Cavs, and then depending on LeBron's health, he'll be back soon, so we can get back to kind of trying to figure out how we're going to play come playoff time. And until the next time we speak, man, go Lakers. Down.